0: All right. Well, once again, welcome. Thanks for coming this morning out to Hope and Anchor's Yurt Church. I hope you found it okay. I think the first time I came to the yurts, I uh, enjoyed that section of road heading that way for a a while before I found a place to turn around. But uh, this is great. I can't believe this many people came. So, uh, yeah, uh, I'm excited about uh, the time we get to share together, that we get to share lunch, then uh, just hang out. That sounds good to me. So, hope you've had a good Labor Day weekend thus far. Uh, As we open God's Word this morning, I hope that something in each of us uh, is willing to open as well. Because I trust that whenever we make ourselves available uh, to the Holy Spirit, when we make ourselves available to what God wants to affect and accomplish in our lives, uh, He's faithful to do that. The Word tells us that He is faithful to complete that good work He began in you so long ago. And so, whether that long ago is today, or years and years ago our God is faithful and so even if we're meeting in a yurt or even if we're meeting in a traditional church building looking thing um, God's there and God's able to do uh, abundantly more than we could ask or imagine and that's uh, the promise we have uh, from him in Scripture so today I want to talk about um, start off by talking about some uh, security cameras that I put in at my house Uh, does anyone have any of those like Wi-Fi security cameras on their house It's a real game changer, anyone? Yeah, I mean, a few weeks ago, I installed these security cameras uh, at my house, one overlooking kind of the front door and one overlooking the gate, and uh, it's super convenient. I mean, gone are the old days of having to deal with like, uh, who is it, Uh, the ADT, you know, like some people that you have to call or they call you and you forgot the password, so they they, uh, send the police. <laughs> it connects wirelessly. Uh, it goes through our Wi Fi and then to our cell phones. So, even while we've been down here at the lake this weekend, uh, we've been getting notifications from our house. Like just this morning, my dog got out again. And, Maddie, thank you for rescuing Zoe. Uh, It's been really nice to be able to see while we're away, and even while we're at home, it's been nice to see who's coming and going. Uh, It's been nice to uh, monitor when our dogs get out. It's also been interesting to see how much urban wildlife comes to visit our house right in the middle of North Springfield. One unexpected result, however, of having security cameras is now I get to see a whole lot more of me walking around. Uh, going in and out of my house because anytime time I come in or go out it's there it shows up on my phone and I get to see me walking on video and that's weird I've never really spent that much time looking at myself I've never spent that much time looking at myself moving around uh, I have never been repeatedly able to see myself walk by I mean think about it you don't have a venue or an opportunity to walk watch yourself walk by very often But here I am, daily, watching myself walk by from this detached, objective angle. Now this may not be difficult to believe, but I've always been tall and I've always been skinny. My whole life I was called a a beanpole. My pajamas had one stripe. Just kidding. But I've always been tall and relatively skinny, but I, have often, I haven't often been able to witness that tallness in motion, that, um, that skinniness in action. You know what I mean? I always get kind of a static picture in you know photos or in the mirror, but I don't get to see it moving around very often. Uh, specifically, I've not noticed how I walk. Uh, and even more specifically than that, it's not just how I walk, it's how I walk downstairs. <laughs> because I get to see myself go out my front door and walk down my front steps over and over again each day. It's how I walk downstairs. As I've watched myself descend our front steps now dozens of times on video, I've come to realize that I am what the dictionary calls lanky, (laughs) lanky. I've heard that before. I mean, that's not new to me. People are like, yeah, you're lanky. And I've just always kind of taken it in passing, like, okay, I'm lanky. I'll look that up someday. Well, this whole video thing has made me a little more motivated to actually look it up. I am what the dictionary calls lanky. Other synonyms for lanky include gangly, rangy, spindly, or flimsy. (laughs) These are all words that describe me. All these words refer in one way or another to moving in such a way that accentuates tallness and slenderness. The actual definition of lanky is ungracefully tall and thin, and that, and that doesn't perfectly capture my essence when I travel downstairs, however. Now, I mean, I'm not here to toot my own horn, but I actually move fairly gracefully. But strangely and sadly enough, ironically perhaps, therein lies the problem. From the security camera vantage point, I've come to realize that I look, as I move gracefully along in my lankiness, I look a little too much like Jar Jar Binks. Or maybe that dates, maybe you're too old for this, maybe Scooby uh, Shaggy from Scooby-Doo, you know that. Yeah, that's me. It'd be better if I was clumsy and like clunky, but no, I'm smooth, smooth as silk, so I look like Jar Jar Binks and that is not to my liking. Here I am in my late 40s just now feeling self-conscious about this. I mean I thought that was gone with middle school but no now I'm self-conscious about me moving around because people can see me I'm feeling self-conscious about how I walk downstairs and I try consciously now when I walk out the front door to be less lanky and I'm the only one that's gonna see this my wife too but I mean For my sake, I don't want to look so lanky. So when I walk out the front door, I'm trying to walk less lanky down the stairs. Isn't that crazy? Why have I never noticed this before? Why have I never noticed this about myself? I have always assumed that I walked with with ease and with a sense of purpose. I always assumed I possessed a sense of noble bearing, a refined dignity as I walked and walked downstairs. What am I to make of this unwelcome realization and does this misperception that I've held, does my inability to accurately see myself, does it run deeper than just the way that I walk? Does my misperception of myself actually run deeper than just how I walk downstairs? You see, here's one thing I've noticed as I've studied humans. I I find, I've noticed that humans, humans tend to have a hard time seeing themselves clearly. We carry around a whole lot of misperceptions of ourselves. We have a hard time seeing ourselves clearly. We have a difficult time seeing ourselves for who we truly are. More than just visually, I'm not just talking about how we walk, more than just visually, we have a difficult time seeing ourselves emotionally, Seeing ourselves relationally, uh, seeing ourselves vocationally, and seeing ourselves spiritually. And the list doesn't end there. We just have a hard time seeing ourselves clearly. We in fact, we are masters of self-deception, aren't we? We deceive ourselves so often and so easily. We are masters, we are experts of self-deception, of evasion, of hiding, and of pretending. And it's not just that we can't see ourselves clearly. Oftentimes, we don't want to see ourselves clearly. We don't know want to know what's actually going on in here. We don't want to see ourselves clearly because if we did, we aren't sure we would like what we see. We aren't sure we'd like what we find. Does anyone ever come to that realization and kind of just backed away? Like, whoa, there's a lot of crud in there. You know, the scriptures say that out of the heart the mouth speaks, and you've heard some of the stuff that comes out of your mouth, and you're like, what is in there? I'm just going to leave that shut. uh, Fyodor Dostoevsky said, Lying to ourselves is more deeply ingrained than lying to others. Lying to ourselves is more deeply ingrained than lying to others. But... Here's good news what if I told you what if I told you there is one who sees with perfect clarity? What if there's one who sees with perfect clarity? What if your creator, what if God sees you, He knows you and he loves you? I mean some of you hear that and you're like, could it be? Oh no we have this like split frame reaction like God could know me he could see me know me and love me oh no that means if he knows me there's no way he could love me but what we find throughout scripture is over and over again we're told yes God knows you he sees all that junk and he loves you he still pursues you that my friends is at the heart of the good news he sees us he knows us and he loves us you see God does not suffer from a skewed perspective God does not suffer from the deception of our outward appearances. When He looks at you, when God, the Creator, when He considers who you are, He is looking straight through. He is looking straight through all of your attempts to hide. God is looking straight through all of your attempts to hide, all of your distractions and all of your pretense. The Bible says... That God actually ignores all the noise in the room. <laughs> you can barely hear myself. <laughs> um, the Bible says that God actually ignores pretty much all of our outward stuff. God ignores all of that, and He looks directly at our hearts. When God looks at you, it's hard to imagine what He's actually seeing. Because He's looking at your truest, most honest Self. And we kind of, the shorthand for that is that He looks at our hearts. He looks past all of our deception. I'm reminded of the story in 1 Samuel chapter 16 when God sent Samuel to anoint David as Israel's new king, after he had rejected Saul as the king. Now the prophet Samuel, he rolls into town, he hosts a sacrifice, and then he invites Jesse and all of his sons to attend. Upon arrival, Samuel takes one look at Jesse's oldest son, whose name was Eliab. Eliab. He sees Eliab, and he is convinced immediately that he must be God's chosen man. Why? Because he's the eldest. But he's also tall. I mean, what with his good looks, his strong frame, and his tall stature, plus he's the eldest? Duh. He's got to be God's chosen one, because this is clearly how God works, right? Wrong. 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 The way God saw the situation was far different than how Samuel saw it, than how Jesse saw it, and how his sons saw it. Let's look at, if you have your Bible, you can uh, open to 1 Samuel 16. But let's read this story real quick. Uh, We'll start in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Samuel, You have mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel, so fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. But Samuel asked, How can I do that? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. Take a heifer with you, the Lord replied and said that you have come to and say that you have come to make a sacrifice to the Lord invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you which of his sons to anoint for me so samuel did as the lord instructed when he arrived at bethlehem the elders of the town came trembling to meet him what's wrong they asked do you come in peace yes samuel replied i have come to sacrifice to the lord Purify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then Samuel performed the purification rite for Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice too. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, Surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't judge by his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. When, Jesus told his, when Jesse told his son Abinadab to step forward and walked in in front of Samuel, but Samuel said, This is not the one the Lord has chosen. Next, Jesse summoned Shemaiah, but Samuel said, Neither is this the one the Lord has chosen. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel, but Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse replied but he's out in the field watching the sheep and goats. "'Send for him at once,' Samuel said, "'and we will not sit down to eat until he arrives.' So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes, and the Lord said, "'This is the one, anoint him.' So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on, and then Samuel returned to Ramah." So as I've mentioned, we are experts at hiding our true selves. We insulate ourselves with all this pretense and all these false projections. We pretend to be who we are not. But the gospel of Jesus Christ calls us out from hiding, calls us out from that place of pretending. There's no way to hide and to pretend and follow Jesus at the same time because His gospel calls us out. The call to follow Jesus is the call to die to self. You've heard this before. The call to follow Jesus is the, is the call to die to self. And that includes death to self-deception. Have you thought about it this way? Dying to self means you die to the false impressions of yourself. You die to your self-deception. In fact, following Jesus will frequently lead us into conflict with ourselves. I don't know if I'm in the right room, but... I feel like I'm in a battle with my own self much of the time. The call to follow Jesus frequently leads us into conflict with ourselves uh, as we come to see through our false beliefs, when we start to recognize all of our uh, inaccurate assumptions. We define ourselves so often and so easily by what we do. We define ourselves by what we control and by what we have because that's easier. And it's less painful. But mercifully, God's Holy Spirit works in us to help expose those very things. Those very things that keep us from stepping into our new and our true identity in Him. I'd like to read one more ver- passage of Scripture real quick. But this is the story of the rich man and Jesus. The, the rich man that comes to Jesus say, Hey, what do I need to gain eternal life? And he comes to Jesus. So look at Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Starting in verse 17. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him and knelt down and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Well, teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And this amazed them. But Jesus said again, Dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astounded. (laughs) Then who in the world can be saved? They asked. And Jesus looked at them intently and said, Humanly speaking, it is impossible. Humanly speaking, it is impossible. But not with God, everything is possible with God. Then Peter began to speak up. We've given up everything to follow you, he said. Yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property, all along with persecution. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life, but many who are the greatest now will be the least important then, and those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. So just like the rich man in this story, which is probably familiar to many of us, but just like the rich man in this story, we too are confronted with all the things, all the things that we have been relying upon to define ourselves, to identify ourselves, and to qualify ourselves in our lives I mean if you're honest there's a lot of stuff in your life that you lean on to kind of prop yourself up to show the world that you're good enough and it's really not who you are it's what you have that you're relying upon Jesus identifies those things as obstacles not just with this rich young ruler but with us This stuff gets in the way. He identifies these things as obstacles to freedom, ultimately obstacles to following after Him. So what is it for you? Maybe this is the best use of our time today to really consider then, what is it for you? Where is God God drawing your attention inside your life? What is it that Jesus might be calling you to set aside in order to clearly see and to faithfully follow Him? It may feel awkward, it may feel scary and uncomfortable, but here's the promise, it is the path to freedom. It is the path to freedom in Christ. So in conclusion, I am startled that it took almost five decades for me to realize I look weird when I walk downstairs. But I'm glad it didn't take that long for me to discover who I am in Jesus. I've known that for a lot longer, so I'll walk weird all I want now because I know Jesus and he makes it all worth it. Over and over again throughout scripture and all throughout our life together as a church family, Jesus is calling to us. Jesus is calling us, he's inviting us to open our eyes and to truly see. He knows us and he knows how we like to avoid ourselves. He knows how we avoid ourselves and we insulate ourselves from reality. But He wants to set us free. He desires to free us and to call us out so that we can truly dwell in Him. The gospel of Jesus calls us out of hiding. The gospel of Jesus calls us away from pretending. The gospel of Jesus calls us out into the fresh light of freedom and salvation. God looks at the heart. Over and over again, God looks past the older brothers to find the David. Over and over again, Jesus asks the rich man to sell his stuff so that he can be free. So what about you? What about you? My prayer for you is that you will follow Jesus. And that you, day by day we'll see more and more clearly who God created you to be and what He is calling you to be about in this life. Because life is too short to be lived in hiding, my friends. Life is too short to be lived in hiding or to spend it deceived by a false, fake version of yourself. So today, be free and be healed. That is my prayer for you. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, sometimes uh, we have such a mix of emotion, of feelings when we come to Scripture because we find so much encouragement, so much hopefulness, but we also find a certain healthy discomfort. We discover a, a, a divine dissatisfaction in our own lives. And God, I pray that that nudge that we're feeling, that conviction we're feeling, I pray that, pray that we would recognize that as the work of the Holy Spirit. You desire to do something inside of us. You desire to set us free that we might be able to live more and more unencumbered, that we might see more and more clearly who you are, who we are, and what Jesus is doing in our life through the Holy Spirit. God, I don't know what you brought to mind for each of these people, but God, if we're really honest, many of my friends here, if they were truly telling it like it is, they don't know who they are. There's so many layers There's so much pretense and deception. And it's been there for so long, it's so hard to even see anymore. So God, I pray that you would uh, open our eyes so that we might see, that we might become aware of these things so that we might be healed of them. And that we might be able to set them aside, that maybe for the first time we see them from this detached, objective angle, that we might see ourselves clearly in a way that startles us. God, may we see ourselves how you see us today. Lord, be at work in this place. Be with my brothers and sisters here that are seeking to follow you. God, continue that work faithfully in us, we ask. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we're going to finish up today. We're going to eat lunch. But before we do that, um, let's pray together as the Lord taught us, and then we'll uh, get some instructions on lunch. But So go ahead and stand, and let's pray as the Lord taught us. Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and lead us not into temptation. Oops. But deliver us from the evil one. Is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever. Saying the Lord's Prayer right is like Pastor 101, and I fail it repeatedly. I am so sorry, but I'm so thankful that you still love me, even though I mess up the Lord's Prayer so often. (laughs) Now, all glory to God who is able, through His mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to Him in the Church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. May the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Thanks, guys. You're awesome. Have a good time at lunch. Um, what do we need to do, uh, Amanda? Nick has hot dogs out on the grill, so the plates plates are that direction. Hot dog buns are that direction. There's some uh, full of sausage going, too. So start there, and then come in for toppings. Um, there's chili and vegan chili, so be me until we room for the <laughs> uh, thank you